Welcome back to the Max Out Show, where I'm joined today by the Zen priest, mindfulness teacher, and executive coach, Mark Lesser. After living in a monastery for 10 years, Mark has gone on to lead world-renowned programs on mindfulness and meditation around the globe and companies like Google to help people bring the Zen mindset to work and to life. And so on this episode, we dive deep into the practices of mindful leaders, how to approach goal setting in the right way, and what working in a Zen kitchen taught Mark about life. So I had a great time shooting this episode. Let's dive right in. Super excited for this. And there's so many great things we're going to talk about, including empathy, leadership skills, emotional intelligence, mindfulness. But I also want to talk a little bit about your own personal story, because I think there's so many cool insights and lessons that we can all draw from, including working in a Zen kitchen and how in the world you managed to get a full ride to university by being a caddy. <laughs> so, <laughs> lots of good stuff. But before we get yeah, into that, you know, sometimes um, uh, I think uh, desperation can be uh, highly underrated. Sometimes. <laughs> that, is, that is very true. We're, we're going to talk about that. But before we get into that, I want to take you even back, even further back into high school. Um, one of your wrestling matches when for the first time in your life, you saw some kind of glimpse of the Zen mindset and, and your wrestling opponents. So can you share a little bit about that story and how it got you into, you know, fascinated into Zen mind? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I just wrote about that the other day that um, I, I noticed, you know, I, I couldn't help. Well, a, a couple of things. I mean, one, it was uh, it was funny that um, uh, you know this was Central New Jersey, and uh, there was a there was a team that was in this, the uh, the town next to ours that um, uh, yeah J P Stevens High School in Edison, New Jersey, and they were they were just consistently one of the best teams in in the state, and it was striking that. Uh, when we would be in a match against them that, you know, our, our team came out before the match, like most wrestling teams did. We were all kind of rah-rah and, and this kind of, you know, kind of attempting to psych out the other team through our, through our energy and much, this kind of macho wrestling feeling. And uh, these guys, they, they very differently, uh, they walked out, quietly and there was some sense of stillness about them and and they uh their uniforms were black and they pretty much as i recall uh, all had shaved heads yeah and, and and i remember thinking when i was in high school this is the team i wanted to be on <laughs> and it was funny funny many years later finding myself in a in a zen monastery where people were black and shaved their heads and there was all this stillness uh, but but the other thing that I, I noticed in high school wrestling was that there was something something a little odd, a little different about the very best wrestlers. Uh, that that um, I noticed that the wrestlers who were who were good, you know, uh, really wanted to win, really didn't want to lose, had tremendous you know energy and motivation, but. There's some, there was something peculiar that about, I thought, the, the, the best wrestlers, the state champions. They, they, seemed, uh, they seemed less 
motivated about winning and they seemed less fearful about losing. I, and, and again, I just, that was just my, you know, I never had that conversation with any of them. It was just my, um, what I observed and my own intuition. And, and I felt like, and I wondered, I remember wondering like, what would it feel like to, uh, to not be so caught by the desire to win and the fear of losing. And, and I did, I remember once um, an experience that I had uh, was uh, being ahead in a wrestling match against, against an opponent. And I can remember kind of clamping down, like sort of holding on, running out the clock in order to win the match, which I did. And, and I remember walking off the match, the mat feeling like crap oh. and feeling like, like I, I didn't, I, I didn't really give it my all. I didn't really do the dance. And, yeah. and in some way there was something like, did it, did it really matter that much that I won if I didn't really let myself um, really give it my, my best? So those were, those were various, um, just a few of the many, many lessons in high school wrestling. Yeah, you know, I, th I think it's so interesting because that's, that's an insight I hear over and over again talk, talking to people like you is that, you know, success and winning, even if, you know, they, they may sound incredible and may sound, you know, it's like this huge goal in front of you. But if you haven't truly given it your all, like if you don't, if you feel like there's there's still this gap left between what you're doing and what you could be doing, then people feel unfulfilled, right? Because success alone is not enough. You also got to feel like there's some sense of mastery, right? There's some sense of I did something that actually like pushed me outside of my comfort zone. It actually forced me yeah. to level up. And I think that that's something that that people oftentimes overlook when they like when they're so focused on winning or losing, right? They forget that like. The whole purpose of, of, you know, especially sports, right, is not to just win some medals, right? It's to actually become a better version of yourself and, and develop yourself. And I think that's such an important point there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's a great thing about, um, you know, I, and I think that, that sports and, and athletes and, um, you know, um, mindfulness practitioners and meditators, there's, you know, in some way I... I think of I think of meditation as kind of a sport in a, in a certain yeah. way, uh, and I think of a sport as a kind of meditation as well. <laughs> do, you, do you mean in the, in the sort of approach they they take to it and sort of just focusing on mastery rather than or, or rather the process of mastery rather than some outcome or how do you mean well, that? In a few ways, I think you know they are um, what they have in common is they they engage the full body and mind right so it they they meditation and 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 any sport um it's not just you know it's not just thinking about something it's not just coming up with some idea and those are those are those cognitive uh sports those are wonderful as well but but these are more body this is like really using one's whole body and and mind um, and they um, pretty much involved with, you know, in, engaging with others in, 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 some, in some way. And yeah, and I think um, they, push, they push you to some edge of, of the, the edge of the known and the unknown. Um, that to me, a, um, 
it's funny. I've been um, I've been talking a lot. I've been about this um, what I think of as this process of uh, seeking and finding, and and that um, you know in in, in some way. Um, like in the world of meditation, uh, you know, often you're instructed to, you know, to not have a goal or to let go, let go of any sense of goal. But I think the reality is that it's some, it's, there's some goal that brings you to the, to the cushion or brings you to the seat. You're not, you're not just sort of finding yourself. No, there, you like, there's, there, there may be many, many uh, different layers of, of motivation, um, but um, but I think what's interesting, and again, I think this is similar to to uh, to sports as well, is that uh, th once you're in it, part of you, you need to have the courage to let go of whatever you thought that goal was, and, and I think it's similar to you know if you're a uh, if you're a tennis player or a golfer or any sport, in order to in order to improve, you kind of need to let go of the way that you're doing it now, and yeah. and that's hard, right? That's that's there's kind of a a mental and physical practice of 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 letting go, um, and and being in that. Uh, that that unknown that unknown space, and to me this is the um, I think of it as the you know it's the the frame in between searching and finding right. So we start out we start out thinking that we're looking for something. Um, you know, in the world of meditation, it might be you know uh, reducing our stress or communicating better or or enlightenment any any of those um, any of those things but uh we need to let it whatever it is we need to let it go and and um and then we might and and that's where the that's where the learning and the discovery i think takes place in that that space that kind of letting go space and then you know um uh there's some also some sense of discovery or some sense of finding what 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 did we learn how 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 am I transformed uh, whether it's as a meditator or as a as a as an athlete and and again I think that's uh, that, that's the ongoing process and I think that's ongoing sort of human human process because. Um, we're constantly changing, our circumstances are changing, so uh, this sense, you know, we yearn, I think we humans, we learn, we yearn for uh, predictability and stability, but it's, it's not the universe that we live in, so um, good, luck, good luck with that. <laughs> good luck with that, yes indeed. But you know, this, this rings so true to me, what, what are you saying here, and to keep using your, your sports metaphor, I've been running competitively for the last eight years or so, like pretty much every single day, right? And it really started out, um, like you said, like with really this intense focus on goals, right? I wanted to win races. I wanted to set records, break my PRs, all of that. But the more I started, you know, I kept running year after year, the more I realized that it's not about that, right? Because all of that, it may sound cool, 
but it's not actually the thing that you're after, right? It's like this, this daily process, just doing the work and getting better and, and seeking mastery and actually finding also enjoyment in the moment and in a process, right? Right. In the day-to-day yeah. business rather than, Hey, in like six months from now, when I win this race, I'm going to be happy. Right. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And I think that's, that's so important to realize also the journey and the power of that. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I think, I think, I think sometimes we need, we need those goals, you know, so it's not like, Oh, as I said, even, you know, even this, image of what brings us to the cushion or what or what um you know what brings you to running you know one sometimes as a as a as a writer um you know it's it's a funny it's a funny paradox that um it uh it's helpful for me to um to feel like oh i'm actually writing a book here this is this is this is going to turn into a book uh, but if if the writing I do needs to be book worthy, that's horrible. Like having, <laughs> having to have book worthy writing is just such a uh, you know just such a um, impediment to my own sense of enjoyment and freedom and creativity. So it's this funny. It's this real funny um, paradox of. Uh, I think I think having you know having goals, having structure, being motivated in that way, um, I, I, I need I need those things, and I think most people do. Um, but but I think what gets harder, what's a little bit more uh, nuanced, is the need to let it go, the need to the need to to really let it go, like and that not you know it's not like oh I'm you know just like. No, like let it let it go and see see what um, see how that goes. Yeah, I think that's it's so so important. Is this really on the one hand having those goals, right? Because they provide us with structure, right? They provide us with clarity and focus around what we want to do, and at the same time, letting go of the end result, right? Letting go of the external stuff and just doing our best, right? Is really I think the best way to go about this if you want to be first successful and then also happy in the moment. Yeah, so so I think that's the um, you know I, I mentioned this uh, seeking and finding, and um, uh, so I think to me the 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 surprise element of it is that it's not about finding some end goal, but about finding um, an appreciation and joy in the process, whatever whatever it is, like, and and that's. Um, uh, and and cultivating, I think I think that's part. Of, I think it takes uh, ongoing practice and ongoing support to um, to actually live to actually live that. It's not so not so easy, you know. It's not so easy to um, appreciate the process. Appreciate, you know, um, wh- you know. I one of my one of my ongoing uh instructions when i'm if i'm leading a a meditation is you know what is it like what is it like to be here what is it like to be alive right now and and without trying to change anything without trying to make it different to you know to to, without wanting some different state of mind but this state of mind uh what is it (laughs) and (laughs) And uh, and is it possible to um, 
just appreciate and accept and be be there for for what is uh, as opposed to wanting something different yeah i think that's so important because so many times even i myself find myself sort of arguing with reality right and what i mean that is is we we see reality as it is we feel our emotion as they are but we we want something different right we want to feel happier we want to feel more excited we want to feel more energetic in that moment so we kind of argue right and that oftentimes what i find is it actually pulls us down right so trying mm -hmm. to oftentimes you know argue with those negative emotions actually you know pulls us down rather than if we just accepted it hey this is how it is right now and just yeah. stayed with it right yeah and right but then there's a there's a powerful and yet um right and yet um we have some big problems that we need to solve right so my my attitude about climate change as an example it isn't like oh well you know just have to accept yeah. it. <laughs> like like no we screwed up you gotta do something up. yeah we screwed up here we need to do something and um and we need to take action what can we do um you know the same is true with um you know uh, racism and inequality and violence it's like so so it's it's so part of it though is um i think i think it's hard to accept what is right it's easier to oh you know either to pretend that it doesn't really exist that these that these things don't really exist or that someone else is going to take care of them so it's it takes again i think uh this accepting what is stuff means um feeling the pain of what is right and and that's hard like if we if we were to really if we really looked at what we've done to this planet there'd be a lot there'd be we would be really suffering we'd be really suffering it's 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 a travesty what we've done to this planet when you look at the the garbage in the oceans and the you know the the microplastic everywhere and the chemicals everywhere around us and and all of the now a lot of it i think a lot of it i think was done um unintentionally uh, a lot of it was done before we understood you know the uh the 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 downside of chemicals now and a lot of it was done with a uh, greed you know greed greed and the short term uh desire for wealth and success uh was was also a, a big part of it but here we are like so it's like now what and so i think there is something profound about uh leaning in you know feeling feeling and seeing what what is uh feeling it really feeling it and at the same time even letting go letting go of all that as as well and then and then coming up with well what do we do you know what what and and i think this is um you know for most of us you know also on a on a much smaller scale like how do we live our lives you know like if you find if you find yourself you know um uh whether it's um addicted or or biased or angry or whatever whatever however you find yourself to really find yourself and to really feel those feelings and accept accept them and um 
and figure out how to make things, uh, how to um, make uh, positive change in our life. So, so again, it's this, it's this, like, I don't want to, I don't want to leave you with, oh yeah, it's like, uh, whatever, like, yeah, just, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I, I remember once, um, I was, uh, I was teaching a workshop in which, um, uh, you know, someone said, oh yeah, I get, I get, I get what your message is, your real message is, you know, you should really tune in and, and whatever the, whatever the universe, whatever the universe wants. And, and I, I, I kind of recoiled and said, no, I'm not a, I'm not a whatever the universe wants kind of guy. I'm like, write the freaking business plan. Right. <laughs> do, just do the stuff you want, right? <laughs> come, up, come up with, you know, yes, yes, there is, you know, again, it's both, right? It's like, don't, don't be fighting against what the universe wants or don't be fighting against the deeper strands of um, uh, your own intuition. Yeah, so again, it's, it's, it's rather paradoxical because I, you know, as a, as a Zen teacher, you know, one of the, uh, I feel like one of the core practices in, in Zen is uh, yeah, letting, letting go of attainment, you know, moving from attainment to non-attainment but I think, I think that's a starting point for solving real problems. Hundred so. percent, and, and and so this was actually the perfect sort of segue into your book, Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader, because what you touched upon here is really not rule number four, practice number four, connecting to your pain, and I think this is is such an important point because I think especially today in this world, it's so easy to avoid pain to run away from it, to hide from it, or whether it's social media, whether it's watching Netflix, whether it's you know, taking drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, to just kind of forget about the pain for the moment. But as we all know, all over the long run, this isn't really useful if you actually wanna learn to live a better life and learn to get in a state of happiness again. So, yeah. so what is maybe one thing that, that you could tell people to do if, if they really wanna, you know, they have this pain in their lives, how can they sort of, learn to transform that yeah this was the um this was i think one of the real uh, uh brilliances of um you know the historical buddha's teaching 2500 years ago which is that uh yeah there's there's pain and difficulty within it's part of the human condition it's it's just it's embedded in 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 us uh partly uh you know, there's the obvious things that uh, we don't always get what we want, and sometimes we get what we don't want. And then there's just that everything is always changing, and we're always changing. And we are, you know, there's, if we're lucky, there's old age, sickness, and death, if we're lucky, you know. So, um, yeah. And, uh, and then, Though these practices, you know, that that he came up with these uh, way of being in the world to transform pain into well-being, into happiness, into satisfaction, and that um, so it's not that we're we're not pushing it away, we're not pretending it's not there, but we're it's this constant uh, practice of uh, acknowledging and transforming 
transforming again and again. And um, yeah, again, it's, um, I think it, it's interesting. It's like the practice of even um, appreciating, appreciating ourselves and appreciating even the things that are, uh, that are challenging and, and, and difficult. Um, and again, it's very much connected. I feel like we made a, we made a leap there, which I just want to uh, underscore because practice number three in my, in my seven practices is, is don't be an expert, which is a lot like what we were just talking about, this sense of letting go of, of being right or letting go of thinking that we, that we have the answers and, and uh, developing a, uh, a real sense of curiosity about things, about ourselves, about each other. And, and, and those two practices, I think uh, that uh, practice of uh, don't be an expert and connecting to your pain really go together. They go together really well. You know, they're very similar kinds of um, uh, mindsets. For sure. And, and, and to me, what, what this comes back to is what do you build your sense of self-esteem and your identity around, right? Because especially this point around not being an expert, what it means is, well, you may objectively be an expert, right? The goal is objectively to master whatever it is that you're doing. But in your mind, you always want to stay the beginner, right? In the mind, you always want to have this white belt mentality of always wanting to improve, always wanting to learn, always wanting to get better in some kind of way and never really feeling like, hey, I've, I've mastered it all, right? Because that's the end of everything. Yeah, well, yes. And, you know, uh, I, I often get pushback about this, um, uh, you know, don't be an expert. So I have to clarify that, uh, of course, I want my surgeon or my car mechanic, I want them to be really good. Yeah. I'd like them to be experts in their fields. But there's two things about that. One is um, when I talk about, you know, uh, don't be an expert, it's, it's in the realm of relationship and communication and our, and our humanity that, that there's just, there's no way we, we're going to be experts in, in relationships. Um, and, and even the surgeon or car mechanic, uh, if things don't go as according to what's expected, I, I, want, them, I want them to have incredibly uh, flexible minds and be willing to let go of, of what their idea of how things are supposed to go. So, so it's, it's, again, it's a, uh, interesting. Uh, you know, our language, our language is so... Uh, dualistic, mm -hmm. you know, it's, you know, that you're expert or not, a not, or not an expert and right and wrong and pain and no pain. Uh, so uh, I think we need to um, be a little bit um, forgiving of ourselves when it comes to, you know, how, how easily we get, we get caught by the duality of our language. Yes, for sure. And I, I, I feel like there's this distinction between the skill set of an expert and feeling like you're an expert, right? It's like you say, you're, you're a neurosurgeon, you want them to objectively have the skill set of an expert, right? But at the same time, feel like they're a beginner, feel like they can always learn, have that you know, mental capacity, just go a different way and learn new things. So I think that's, that's really important. And really what, what allows you to bring to life these, these true practices, right? Um, don't be an expert and connect to your pain is, is the first two that you mentioned, meaning loving the work and and actually doing the work, right? So can you share with us a little bit about, about that and what that means? Yeah. Um, yeah, to me, you know, the first practice, like 
in some way, all of them are within this, right? Loving the work of being human, loving, loving, loving what it, what does it mean? And this was really, you know, I've been thinking a lot about, um, you know, my own, my own sort of inspiration, motivation, aha, again, uh, there, there are many different points, but one, one point was, um, was reading uh, the book. Uh, I, was, I was 21 years old when I read uh, Toward a Psychology of Being by oh, Abraham Maslow. And, and it's funny, people think about Maslow as this hierarchy of needs. And yeah, that was, that was really good work. But he did all this work on uh, like that book was to me, he was really asking the question, uh, why is it that some humans are qualitatively more developed, uh, emotionally more developed? Uh, they seem that he noticed, he noticed some people seem to be um, uh, happier, but also sadder, that they, it wasn't, it wasn't just that they were happy all the time, but there was a uh, the the emotional depth and and range and ability to be present and ability to be connect connected uh, to themselves and to others and um, it's like I remember reading that as a twenty one year old I said these are great questions I've never I've never <laughs> thought of that and oh and if I do think about it I am so undeveloped I am <laughs> I'm I'm over, I'm over on the other end of that scale like I have no idea what I'm feeling or when anybody, and it's like, it's just like, and it was this, um, uh, this wow about, uh, yeah, I, why, why isn't everybody doing this work? Uh, why isn't everyone like, like, uh, I, I just think it just seemed obvious that this was um, essential in, um, not only for my own, life and own well-being but but when i looked at the the insanity around me of how people were living their lives and uh how we were producing food how we were treating the planet like oh it all it all starts with with um working with in, in this realm of uh of becoming more full more full appreciative connected loving humans and so to me this is this is the first uh the first practice which is to love uh love the work of uh, being human and also the work of of helping others the work of the work of compassion which i think again it's just completely uh, embedded in in our own because we we're just again and this is you know funny jumping around you know practice six is depend on others because we are Part of loving the work is seeing how we depend on others much more for the obvious um, material things, but even for our our own identities, our own sense of who we are. Hundred percent. I want to dive a little bit deeper in number six in a minute. Um, but but what you just said really blew me away about really learn to be an outstanding human being. Because for our listeners here right now, this is literally what this podcast is about, about going deeper into your own human psyche, learning to understand yourself more, learning to really master your own mind and, and really become a more well-rounded human being so that you can live a happier and better life. And so this is really what it's about. 
And you mentioned Maslow, and, and there's this quote that I absolutely love, which is he said, what one can be, one must be. Mm -hmm. I really love that because I think it speaks to this idea that you have to develop yourself in the person that, that you can be because that's the only way to really, truly think at the end of your life, when you look back, you don't have any regrets, right? And I think regret comes when you look back and you realize, I could have done more to become more, right? Mm -hmm. I think this is, this is so important. This really speaks to what you're saying here about learning to love the work of developing yourself into someone that you're not yet today. I, I love the Maslow quote. And uh, I also, as you, as you were saying that, I thought, and, and you know, uh, and, we'll never, and we'll never quite get there either. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is an important point because uh, mental mastery, um, it may sound like, hey, you're going to reach this end point in your life, but the reality is it's a constant pursuit. There's no end goal. There's no end state. It's just about getting better every single day of your life for the rest of your life until the day you die. And that, I think, is the purpose of everybody's life is to just see how far they can go and how far they can get in developing themselves internally more so than, than externally, right? I think this is so important. Um, but I, I should I should I should know this quote by heart, so I, I apologize that I'm I'm going to do a really rough paraphrase. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> this is um, um, you know the 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 founder of a Zen Buddhism in in Japan in the 13th century, Dogen, who was a you know incredibly prolific uh, you know writer, scholar, and and um, yeah he he really wrestled his whole life with these issues about kind of seeking and finding and, you know, uh, you know, stepping into enlightenment and the fact that we never reach enlightenment. And uh, there's a, a quote from one of his essays where he says something, something like, you know, when we, uh, when we, when we constantly realize that there's something lacking, uh, this is enlightenment. <laughs> When we feel that we've reached enlightenment, uh, there, or when we feel that there's nothing lacking, uh, this is delusion. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> I think to this point, you're never going to be the expert, right? You're never going to be perfect in, in anything that you do. And to think that you are almost disqualifies you as, as like you say, delusional, right? <laughs> so I think it's so important. Yeah. Now yeah. let's let's go back to to what you mentioned before. Practice number six: depending on others. Um, and you mentioned how important this is, right? Not just for material stuff, not just for financial stuff, but also for our own well-being. So how can we learn to truly depend on other people and, and build this interconnectedness in our lives? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. A lot of the um, uh, the the book, you know, it's seven practices of a mindful leader, and the the context that I address, you know, a lot of these, pra these practices in the context of work and the context of, of working within a team or leading team. So there's all of that, you know, and, and I think um, this, uh, it's just so obvious, right? If you're, if you're on a team, uh, whether you're leading the team or a member of the team, you, you're, you, you know, you're just so uh, depending on others. And, and part of the practice is, is to recognize that. Um, and part of that is to, uh, is to listen, is to really, really be curious about who are these others. I mean, again, so often, 
so often in the work world, there's such a sense of, um, you know, of protecting our particular, uh, uh, you know, piece of, piece of the property or our <laughs> ego or being, being the smartest. And, and there's, you know, really, really interesting uh, research. I talk about uh, a research, some research study that Google did years ago um, one, this one is called uh, uh, Google Aristotle, where they wanted to know what it was that made great teams. Mm. And, and again, in, in, a, in, in some way, what they discovered was that great teams uh, depend on each other. They depend on each other for creating a, a culture, a culture of trust, a culture of safety within, within that team, which is the opposite of right, the kind of more egoistic and self-protection. Um, and, and again, I think whether it's um, in our work lives or in all parts of our lives, you know, in some way our, our families are like a team. Um, if we play sports, we're on, on teams. Uh, so, so much of what we do is this um, uh, becoming skillful at this uh, kind of inter interdependence, right? So we need to, you know, how do we, how do we function? What's what's our role? But what's our? How are we functioning in a in a skillful, uh, compassionate way within within teams? I think this is so important. You know, I've really realized this in my own life, which is when I when I work with people that I consider friends, right? Um, or first, you know, take a time to to actually build relationships and build friendships before I dive into you know team projects. That makes things so much easier, right? Because as you said, that allows everyone to sort of let down their guard, right? To stop trying to protect themselves, to stop trying to protect their ego and their status, and instead just truly collaborate and really depend on each other and trust on each other. And I think that's so important that when you're starting out with a new team and whether it's sports or business or wherever else in your life, family, that you actually take the time first to really deeply connect on a human level, ask like, who are you really? What, what matters to you? What values are important to you, right? How do you want to interact? And then once you've got those things clarified, then you can really start working and collaborating and actually maximizing the, the whole efficiency part of it. Yeah. And I think it's worth recognizing. Um, it's hard. It's really 100%. hard. It's, right. That collaboration is hard. Uh, cynicism and mistrust are easy. Uh, you know, we can see that, I mean, our nothing, it's, it becomes really obvious in, in our political, political world, but, but in, in most companies, you know, partnerships are hard and um, solving problems together is, is really difficult. It's one of the things I, I do a lot of uh, co-teaching, almost, I'm almost, not always, but whenever I'm up in front of the room, um, in a company or in a public setting, I, I really like uh, being next to, standing next to someone. And, and it's just such a great learning. I, 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 I mean, I've learned so much um, from people who I've co-taught with. And I've had the, I've been incredibly lucky to have found myself in front of the room standing next to just like really a brilliant people and like I'm, I'm often I've, I've often been awestruck and of course my own my own imposter syndrome can kick in yeah. what am I doing next to this person or or someone in the audience will ask a question and the person 
that I'm standing next to will give a brilliant answer. And I'm like, wow, I, like, oh, yeah. where did they come up with that? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it's been, uh, you know, it, it's been, it's been great being the, um, I think, I think for many years, I was the co-pilot, you know, where I felt like I was the, the person, people that I were co-teaching with were a lot more experienced uh, than, than I was, but I got to be up there. And then at some point, I, I, I remember um, standing up in front of the room and saying, oh, I, I'm now the pilot. This, I, I'm, now, I'm, now men I'm, now, I'm now kind of mentoring this person who's uh, next to me. And then, and then what's beautiful is when we're both the pilots, you know, we're both uh, completely, completely co-piloting co this um, this plane <laughs> working it's a, it's a it's a really interesting dance and a real interesting i think expression of, of depending on what's well, interesting and you see you're not just depending on each other but we're everyone in the room is we're all we're all in this together uh we're all we're all completely uh codependent co on each other and yeah, yeah I think that's so important, right? Because like you say, there's this codependency, right? And also there's this sort of natural process of, first of all, being the mentee, right? Being the person, the co-pilot, as you say, right? The person is just learning and, and growing and developing themselves and that may feel that imposter syndrome, right? When they look at these superstars in their fields, right? They feel like I can never get there. But then mm -hmm. as you just keep putting yourself out there over time, right? Over the years as they go by, what you're going to find is, at some point, you're going to be left there in the cockpit all alone, right? The co-pilot's gone, and you're going to figure out a way to <laughs> somehow land that plane safely by yourself, right? And I think that's that's so important for people to realize, especially those impatient ones. It's like your time is going to come at some point if you keep putting in the work. But it's interesting. I think um, I kept learning over and over again. Like even even when I was standing up there in front in front of the room with these brilliant co-teachers, I can remember afterwards you know saying to uh, someone who was there that like gee that was um uh that was that was interesting i learned a lot and and it was it was hard at times um being next to someone who was uh that you know that intelligent and they would look at me and saying like mark don't you bring something else right yeah. like like yes you 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 know you might not um uh, like if I if I was with a um, a neuroscientist who was you know talking about you know talking about brain science in a way that uh, was was not my education, uh, but I was able to um, I, I think I was often uh, underestimating what what I was what I was bringing that that there was a, it's easy to have that kind of mm. a comparative mind and imposter syndrome and and under uh, underappreciate whatever it is we're, we're, we're bringing. So it's, it's, it's kind of an, again, it's this interesting ongoing process. Cause actually when I would then, you know, do some debriefing with my brilliant co-teachers, they would feel like, you know, they wish they had answered questions better <laughs> or, so it's just, again, I think there's something, um, it's it's an interesting uh, edge of uh, I think there's something healthy about you know wanting to be better, wanting to do it better, at the, and at the same time to appreciating appreciating what is uh, and 
and not not getting too uh, not getting too worked up in the uh, comparative mind or the imposter syndrome and to to recognize to recognize those things and um, but not to get hooked not to get too hooked by them for sure and, and I think that that self-awareness here is really so key now Margaret I want you to take us back to the moment in, in um, college and you mentioned this before you read Abraham Maslow right you you sort of expanded your mind to the possibility of of actually living and then you decide to go to monastery not just for for a month or two but for 10 years so <laughs> how do you make that radical shift in your life and, and what were some of the things that you learned in that time that must have been truly completely different from you know <laughs> usual freshman in college right <laughs> totally different life it's funny it, it wasn't quite that it wasn't quite that big a leap so i uh I decided that I was going to take a one year leave of absence from college. So that was, that was step one. Yeah. Uh, that, so I left college, uh, went to um, San Francisco and, and was part of a, part of a small community that was um, you know, a med meditation community. Um, it was there that I uh, learned about, uh, the San Francisco Zen Center um, came across a, a book called the Tassajara Bread Book and um, started baking bread. But there was something about the spirit of that book that it wasn't just about baking bread. It was about baking yourself. It was yeah. about developing yourself. And it also had a sense of humor to it. And it also had a real depth to it. And... Um, and uh, at the time, I was um, I was working downtown San Francisco in an office job, and and uh, I would take the bus uh, from where I was living, and and the, every day the bus would go right by this uh, the the San Francisco Zen Center building, and you know one day I got off the bus, big mistake, you know, <laughs> <laughs> cost you ten years of your life. <laughs> yeah, it was actually. I, I walked into the Zen Center and then, then I really felt like, you know, this is worth, this is worth, uh, I think this is going to be my next place where I'm going to live and study. And I think wow. I, I, there was even a voice that said, I think this place would be worth 10 years of my life. <laughs> and, wow. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just, um, you know, I think a combination of the aesthetics, the the, um, the cleanliness and the beautiful smells and the beautiful people, and but also um, uh, there was a kind of spaciousness. Like you know, I remember walking in, asking about the schedule, and and basically it was like you know we sit meditation every morning at five thirty. If you if you want to come join us, the door is open. If if we never see you again, good luck. You know? <laughs> and and I, I I kind of liked that. And and little by little, um, I I started to uh, become uh, you know started to sit with the community and um, and at some point um, uh, I started uh, living there and working working there and yeah and I it just was a really good fit for me as a um in terms of um meditation practice and working with teachers and studying 
And one of the big surprises was how important work practice was and that I, I kept getting asked to take on different leadership roles, which was a big surprise for me. It was not at all how I saw myself. And yeah, and then, you know, kind of fast forward several years, I found myself running a Zen monastery kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then a couple of years later, I was the director of this, um, this monastery, Tassajara turns into a kind of a, a, a resort and kind of conference center in the, in the summer time. And, um, and, and it was really, um, those two, those two roles were, were pivotal and, 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 uh, it just was a whole different relationship with, with work and the sense of integrating my full, my full practice, my full, kind of love of the practice of self-awareness into into the into working with people and into making stuff and into getting stuff done and and um yeah that, that led me to uh go back and finish my undergraduate degree and get an mba degree and then start a few companies since then so yeah i think there's such a fascinating journey that you go from this this really mindfulness-based approach right and then you take it back into quote unquote, real life, right? And you, you start applying it to work and you start applying it to just living this, this normal life again. So for people that, you know, don't have 10 years maybe of their lives to spend in this monastery, right? To go through this whole process. What would you say is, is one big takeaway that you could share with them to really learn to take this Zen mindset and actually apply it to, to their normal lives? You know, I, I remember, um, doing a leading a, a one day meditation retreat for a group of Google engineers. And, and uh, these, um, uh, this group, they had done a fair amount of, you know, they had been meditating for many years, but they had never done like a one day, a one day sitting where we pretty much spent the day sitting meditation, <laughs> you know, sitting and walking and sitting and walking uh it was a very but there was some real uh real depth to it and there's something very special uh for anyone that has never done like a a one day sitting or a multiple day sitting i i just can't strongly enough recommend it uh, mm -hmm. but at the end of that day a lot of people they were just like transformed and they were like wow like wow. we had no idea <laughs> this this is what meditation is uh there's a a sense a sense of connection that they had i think with themselves and uh a, a kind of a, a depth and a, and a lightness and and the question that came up was do we need to go live in a monastery because <laughs> this was this was really profound having this kind of a uh, time and i and my response and that's why I'm, I'm kind of how I'm answering your question. Uh, no, you can, you know, there's, it's pretty great. You know, if you can, if you can manage to, you know, uh, take a chunk of time, but, but my response was make your home, your monastery, uh, like, uh, find, develop, you know, carve out some, some corner of your house where you can sit regularly where you can write, where you can study, 
have a lead lead a monastic life even if it's for a half hour a day but have make a little monastery in your in your own space and uh, these these one day sittings or these multiple day sittings find a way to make that part of your 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 life um, and um, yeah so I think uh, I think having a regular you know, a daily practice, doing retreats, finding some other people to, to, to sit with and study with. Um, I think these are all within anyone's, anyone's reach who, who, who wants to, but it's actually, this is the, you know, practice number two, doing the work. <laughs> yeah. It actually, it's actually having, you know, a, a regular practice, sitting with others, doing retreats but so to me um these things i think uh can't be uh replaced or or under underestimated and and um yeah i i just did a um you know i just did a half day sitting here in my house with my i do a weekly a weekly meditation group here in mill valley called mill valley zen and i find like wow just just sitting for half day like it's almost like cheating you know because i feel like i did so much from just um you know spending three hours just stopping and sitting and walking which is pretty pretty great i have to say yeah i think we all need to um i think of it as um kind of returning to the well the well you know the well of practice and and then and then we have to get out there and back into the back into the noisy challenging world but but bringing bringing that well that that well with us as as much as we as much as we can muster yes i love that i think i think that literally the key to life is having some kind of ritual some kind of practice that you can put into your life every single day right it doesn't need to be three hours right but having something at least especially in the morning before you start your day to really ground yourself and get yourself ready for the demands that the world is going to place upon you is so important all right guys that's it for today i really hope you enjoyed this episode i hope you gained some valuable ideas tips tools tricks mindsets belief systems that will hopefully inspire you to take your life to the next level at the end of the day guys it's all about application the only thing that's going to set you apart tomorrow from where you are today is how much action you take with those ideas that you gained and so i really want to challenge you at this point to you know not just listen to this passively to not just consume this you know passively just think about other things but to really take those lessons take those ideas that you just gained and start applying them to your life to really start taking action and sprinting towards those goals and those dreams that you have in your life now guys at this point i want to ask you for a huge favor if you enjoyed this episode please consider heading over to itunes and leaving a review as that helps me really grow the show and reach more people, impact even more people around the world. You know, if you have a family member, a friend, a loved one maybe, that you think could benefit from this content, please consider you know, sharing it with them, forwarding to them, as that helps us really build a community of like-minded people that are all about maxing out their lives. Now guys, with that being said, thanks so much for tuning in today. I really, really appreciate it. Stay strong and see you tomorrow.